Mentioning the um, significance of a sense of connection being the the foundation for the samadhi and also the foundation for panya. You you have something you really feel you can be with. You get a sense of not just conceiving it or having a blurred contact with it, really being able to bond onto body, mood, mind. Mm. feeling you actually connect fully to it and sustain that mm. so certainly in this out of this a basis of pity or rapture connecting of course to um, uh, uh, to wholesome states which <laughs> is not so it's easy to connect to the unwholesome ones you know so the <coughs> or at least to feel it when he's been snagged on them. But mm. PT, the experience of connecting to a wholesome state, so you get a particular tonality that occurs in the in the chitta to do with wholesome is bright. Um, it's not flustered. It's not agitated. It's a brightness. It's got a certain steadiness. It's maybe not rock solid calm, but it's got a certain ease of rhythm to it, mm. not panicky, uh, clouded, mm. a quality of brightness. And so this is gives them a sense of some confidence and with that the quality of just a being able to stay in a re- kind of relaxed or um, settled back, viveka, you know, this quality of being able to s- stay in one space and be with the, the feeling the, the tactile sensations of the body, the walking, the standing, the breathing. You know, this is our basic um, meditation practice. <coughs> now, actually, there's quite a lot in in establishing connectedness um, as a general uh, way of life, actually, more than just being able to 
rivet one's attention onto a meditation object. The whole, you know, seeing that that comes out of a much larger sense of connection. Mm. So that it's not like just a desperate hanging on, but a really a feeling of being able to to uh, contact, to be with, to feel settled in your own space, into you know, where you are. So you can you really know where you are. So we've been emphasising just being able to sit and acknowledge the particularity of where one is, you know, how it's how it's feeling right now, without anything more refined. Just sense of being, you know, the ground beneath you, the room, the space around you, immediately around your body, which, you know, may seem slightly mysterious because space around me has got anything in it. But just by connecting to it, it, like it, it sort of brings one's attention from being um, prone to mental uh, afflictions, you know, it's kind of internally mulling things over and remembering and all this uh, things from the past actually brings me into the present moment you know I'm saying well actually like what's really right in front of my chest right now you know, an inch in front of it so it's if you're sitting in in some particular medium uh, and making that something that feels well it's really all right you know there's nothing harmful there nothing painful there nothing desperate there there's nothing I have to reach out for it, it's right here. Mm. So, you know, like making that something that once the body begins to feel, you know, like you really are settled into your, into your space. And space is, is something you don't have to be a particularly good person or bright or brilliant or, you know, it's just there. Mm. Uh, and without it, of course, it'd all be in a terrible state. Squashed. You know. <laughs> So it's nice to have room to breathe, isn't it? You don't need that much room, you know, a few inches. Yeah, I did it again. So <laughs> <laughs> Without that vital bit of space, where would we be? Yeah. Of course, this is, seems kind of puerile because it's so simple. Uh, but really being able to kind of, you know, come back to something that's really immediate. <coughs> and obvious and palpable and really right here for you. You don't have to develop extraordinary refinement of it, you know, but and it's always here for you. Is your own is a space around you. <coughs> it's a sense of something that's always here for you itself. It's got a very to me is a very is what refuge is about, really. And it's there whether you notice it or don't notice it, whether you're bad mood, good mood you know, big, small, whatever, it's still there for you. You keep, you can breathe in it, you can move around in it, and it allows it all. Really, one can build up quite a lot of skillful sanya perception around such a simple thing as that. You know, it's like connection is something to to build up the mood of it. Mm-hmm. over simple things because then in a way it does help to take one out of the um, 
mental states which are often desperately seeking connection, like thinking of something I want, something I've got to have, something I've got to get to, something I haven't got. You know, it's always this kind of hungry ghost. (coughs) Want to find, have, beget, become, uh, be, whatever. You know, feel we ought to attain something and get somewhere and da 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 da. And then with that, or the terrible, the you know, the, the hungry ghost experience, you know, never get. I haven't got. I can't. I never get. You know, never get what I want. I can't be. You know, all that the the hungry ghost is a little tin mouth, and big belly. <coughs> and uh, so, this in a way is is. Part of what it's about, the theme really building up one's sense of refuge, you know, a place to be, good place to be. The Buddha saying, telling Ananda, Ananda, for anyone, your friends and relatives, anyone you have compassion for, uh, you should establish them in the triple gem. Yeah. For someone who is established in the triple gem, it's impossible they will be reborn in hell realm, hungry ghost realm, or animal realm. Mm. So establish anyone you have compassion for in this. And they will not be reborn in the, these terrible, afflictive, demented, fearful, hungry states. And of course, you know, just doing this for oneself, one has compassion for oneself. Establish yourself in this triple gem. And I'm saying this is more than just um, a brief Pali formula or a one-off initiation. It's a continual sense of, you know, you're in something that's on your side but in something that's good and bright, offers you goodness and brightness, offers you opportunity to bring forth and, and mature your own goodness and brightness. Mm. Offers you an opportunity to clean out, disgorge, spew up you know, the, the afflictions and just like a you know, most efficient lavatory ever built, you kind of flush them all away and kind of throw up in it. So really priceless, you know. Sometimes it's a source of food. Sometimes it's just something to throw up in. (laughs) Um, I think we we need both of those. (coughs) This sense of that, you know, that which that which holds us or or is with us. And and uh, you know when we don't do this or not, not able to do this, then mm-hmm. quite you know the good proportion of time one is in the animal realm, uh, you know, sense desires, fear, restlessness, mm-hmm. like a like a hunted animal, mm-hmm. or in the hungry ghost realm, endlessly needy, orphaned, you know, kind of 
refugee of samsara, desperately trying to get something. Mm. Or in the hell realms, you know, feeling of resentment, bitterness, and so forth. Now, when you know, which comes when it, when it, when it isn't connected. <coughs> When we consider this, then you know to make much of this, then we can so consider like the the precepts, the um, <coughs> sense restraint, <coughs> dwelling within that, the foundations of mindfulness dwelling within that, the um, requisites dwelling within that, and developing that sense of you know just contentment to be in this. You know? So it's not something that you. You know, part of it is what one does and holds. You know, we, we hold ourselves, we carry ourselves with this, we do this. But also, it's important to recognise that part of it is what holds us. You know, and, and that the two of that together. You know, just consider living with people who you know, keep precepts. The inclination, intention is to do so. So now I find wherever I go, I'm with those kinds of people. You know, seem to be in the most troubled countries, and yet you're always with the same kinds of people. You know. I've been to many countries in the world, and it's, it's like you know, you, it's just like somebody's changing the, the wallpaper. <laughs> I'm putting different masks on because it's kind of same. You get very similar perception of being with the good and it's maybe people aren't good all the time but but you know at that particular time when we get together it's coming around in that particular realm you know we, we bond around that um, we bond around here that generosity and harmlessness and respect and listening and caring for each other <coughs> So of course, you know, one can find other perceptions of people that one knows or is with. You know. And then to be able to, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of doing. You know, we can get too lost in the fine details of people's ways of speech or behaviour or mannerisms or so forth, or what they didn't say, what they should have said but didn't say. You know. And then just remember, like nobody's nobody's here to harm me. I feel fully confident nobody's here to harm me, nobody's here to deceive me. You know, people may, I may get the wrong impressions, but nobody's here to do that. Mm. That's something I feel you know, absolutely clear about. Mm. You know, without really thinking about it that much, it seems so obvious that. And recognise, well, that isn't the case everywhere, you know. Some people actually do want <laughs> harm others and lie and deceive and cheat and steal and mutilate and maim <laughs> and be, this is really nice you, to be able to take, to take that in or what, one is, what one is with uh, and it, it gives a sense of just the mind some of the, you know, the frenzy of the mind uh, and the desperateness of it or the 
neediness or the grumbliness of it just oh, fading out because we found some we, we recognize where we are the requisites itself you know, the four requisites I imagine for you know us of us who live here in this particular monastery we don't really think about it very much because it's there's no there's no need you know we have all the food here robes, shelter, medicines often more than we really need we're kind of giving things away to shelters and old people's homes because we've got more than we actually need <coughs> and uh, you know it, it's like recognising if we didn't have these we're as human beings we don't have any clothes and shelter we'd be out, out in the rain and cold naked a night like this with a howling rain and wind you know it'd be pretty miserable wouldn't it and uh, some of us we've got no way of actually um, getting all that together so more than just the requisites is, the, is how they came around you know, they were given and we didn't have to go out and hassle people for it you know, people gave it, they wanted to. They liked it, they, they felt you were somehow worthy of respect, worthy of arms. These tremendously, you know, these requisites are actually saturated in, in lovely things. And also they're, they're kind of, um, they're not about me because I deserved it, they're about everybody. Like what the whole thing means for people. They didn't say this is just for so and so, this is for the Sangha. And and that. Kutis. In the the old days, we used to have um, the house was pretty leaky. Four of us in a room. Now most of us have got. I think we all have rooms on our own now, you know, which is considered. Nobody had a room on their own, actually. They were sharing ones, twos, twos, fours, so on, with buckets catching the water. You know, so they splashed as old as the roof. Yeah, still it was better than being out on the <laughs> outside. <laughs> you know, like this is bental sheep out there who can grow their own wool. You know. Munch the grass and sort of stagger around. You know, we can't do that. We can't grow our own hide, what like a yak or a sheep, and munch grass. We have to, we have to be given these things. Sometimes, you know, when we're like, when we always, we always seem to want to be like Mrs. Bentle's sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all right on my own, thank you. You know. I'll munch my bit of grass and grow my wool and don't bother me. <laughs> but, you know, we make we have that idea that that's what we are, we can kind of conceive of that. But then this is really untrue. You know? It actually is not true. No matter how much one likes the idea of self reliant and independent and loner and not into groups and I'm all right on my own, I don't need very much, you still need food and robes and some kind of shelter, even if it's just a big umbrella. And it don't it doesn't grow on they don't grow on trees. They come out of other humans. 
So whether we acknowledge it or not, there is that connection to a wider sphere, and that connection comes not through pressure, or, you know, but through sense of people's love and respect and wish to support. This is, you know, to live within that realm, to take, take one's time to just consider and reflect. You build up the refuge like that through careful thinking, anusati, recollection. You know, which is bringing one's mindfulness to bear in the presence of something that, that's really actual. So, you know, the, the, the Sangha refuge is something, you know, you, you can build up by just looking at what's around you. The people coming here, people living here, you know, really everything that's around here, you know, physical, tangible. You know, I'm sure all of us can disconnect from that, you know, just another day, you know, and, you know, perhaps not think it's very important, or maybe you think it's some sort of thing you've got to be grateful, but, you know, eat your porridge, you've got to be grateful. <laughs> but, but it's not really like that, it's, it's, it's like trying to realise that unless the, the mind is able to find a refuge, we're going to go into the hell realms, hungry ghost realms, because that's, that's it spins. You know, the, the disconnected mind spins into these this afflictive stuff, which you know we all have as that kind of propensity and that karma, you know, past karma of, of afflictiveness, you know, which is very much a sense building up this sense of intensified self-view, which is, you know, me, mine, separate from everything else, which is certainly, a, you know, a cultural thing anyway. And then there's a, there's a whole karmic propensity and then particular whatever's happened in our lives maybe tend to have intensified that experience. <coughs> Perhaps it's because we are very good at things, you know, so I'm different, special. Um, you know, or maybe it was we we were just having you know the the, the, the sense of separateness from others, you know, and the, the the awkwardness and the painfulness of that that brings around, and the the kind of introversion of it, so one can be living up in this realm of thoughts, because the you know whether we feel we need to connect or even understand what that means. Basically all that activity in one's head is trying to connect to something, something that gives it stability. We may want to find an answer, ah. We may want to find a particular state of knowledge, ah. It may be something like we want to find a particular place of calm, ah. Where I can, you know, we want to find something to, to, to connect to where we feel settled. And it's very basic. And so that this kind of restlessness is something that only arahants don't have. You know, they, they, they become totally connected. You know, there's no particular. This energy has has been consummated by by connecting to the deathless, abiding in nibbana. But it's something to get going. You know, because unless one finds that or establishes that, then. You know, and understands that as a principle, 
you know, to really be with, you know, find the goodness in the present, you know, bond into that. But the mind isn't given the kind of nourishment and support and and um, holding that enables it to to um, develop kind of in a more refined way. <coughs> so when we come to the to cultivating the mind, the citta, is obviously thought plays a significant role in that. Uh, thought is extremely potent and powerful for us. And so the advice of the Buddha is not to be cling to either the, uh, the major or the minor uh, you know, characteristics of, the thought, of thought, either it's kind of the major signs or the minor characteristics, I think is the phrase that's used. The major signs may be like, um, you know, the, the, whether it's a thought powered by greed or confusion or aversion, you know, something of these nature, and then minor, minor characteristics is the particular, how intense that may be, or what particular twist or, you know, interesting new concoction one has created out of the, on these basic patterns, you know, the kind of restless urging of the thinking mind. And in, well, the Buddha is saying, well, when I when I'm a mind, when I was practicing bodhisattva, then when my mind would get caught into aversion, or into cruelty or dismissiveness, or into greed, then I think, well, why don't I just turn it towards something where there's loving kindness, or the ability to uh, experience compassion, or the ability to to um, to let go, to relinquish. Mm. Turn it that way, you know, dividing thought into this in this particular way. Mm. Is it possible to experience any kind of wish for well-being for oneself, for another, for one's dog, goldfish, a you know, plant, anything? Mm. So just to get that modality of experience going. Or uh, we think of cruelty or which can be something like just the hard-heartedness or callousness or indifference or even dismissiveness, you know, which is the sense of not, not taking in another, you know, not, not opening up, not receiving, not meeting another, either through direct ill will or through, I don't, you don't count, I don't care what you think, you know, poof. Um, that, and then, you move, you know, go to something that's more, you know, open, uh, receptive, compassionate, sharing, empathetic. Mm. So if from grosser to the subtler forms of that, this is very important because we think of something like cruelty, we don't, maybe don't think of you know, pulling people's eyes out or um, anything really nasty like that, but, but maybe quite a lot of the time we might be dismissive or caricature people. Oh, so and so is a basket case, you know. You know that, that that sort of thing that can be quite flip and, and easy. You just sort of dump, dismiss somebody, or you know, 
well, all Italians are like that. Boom, you know, you know, for 80 million people wiped out on one. <laughs> <laughs> Or a typical woman, or something like that. You know, like uh, there's four billion of them kind of dismissed in one shot. They are, they are, because you don't want to open up to something that's different or strange, or it means you've got to come out. One's got to come out of one's own way of thinking or one's own mode of being. You know, and this is really, to my mind, what you know, <coughs> compassion is in in detail. Is the ability to you know come out of, of my bit of who I my end of it. So well, I, you know, I mean, I've got to cling to your bit of it, or even agree with it. But at least I can kind of receive that and feel it, you know, hold it with you. <coughs> and whether one does this through speech or just acknowledging other people's presence, like when we live together in a house, acknowledging. But you know, somebody living next door, so maybe I'll go a bit more quietly, or there's somebody struggling with um, a chore. Perhaps I'll help them. You know. Yeah. I mean, they'd be walking around their own little space and get out of my way, blah, 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 blah. busy, you know, meditating, and so on. But actually, just hey, there's another human here. It's not a different kind of person, not oh, it's this lay person, boop. <laughs> you know, there's another human. There's sense organs and feelings, stuff like that, you know. And, you know, it's not that one has to kind of do a whole number on them, it just leads to kind of have one's consciousness open up to, ah, you know. And it's something that, that actually does have to be borne in mind <laughs> because people, you know, when you get into the idea of like, concentrating the mind, then one can actually just get very absorbed in a not particularly wholesome way. <coughs> and, you know, it's not that one's got to, you know, be terrifically sociable, but when there are other people around, you know, one's moving around, living together, and it's that sense of openness, not necessarily engaging even, just openness and moving around, giving people space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do this in silence, it's actually really lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly in the monastic community, we, we can see that occurring, a uh, sense of mutual support that can occur without a lot of conversation or request, people just attuned. One of the one of the beautiful things I find when you have a community of been practicing together for a while. And it is very lovely. It's not particularly the one wants things, but it's nice to feel that sense of, you know, you're in a like an intelligent sphere of connectedness rather than, you know, living in a bus station or something who's moving about. You know, you know, by you know that kind of thing. Actually, you're you're in some sphere of knowing or of, or of attentiveness. The mind, then, you know, or, or the let's say the emotive mind feels set more settled like that. <coughs> so when we when we contemplate, you know. Those, you know, your physical actions and the ways of thinking are there to try to you know, bring one into that state, you know, which is more a felt thing, or like a, a jitter rather than a thought. Thought is part of what happens in the mind, but it's only one part of it. There's also a whole receptive 
emotive uh, feeling uh, aspect to, to mind. Relinquishment, the ability to, to um, which comes from feeling, sense of, well, I have this, I don't need that. You know, which can occur when one has a sense of, of connection, being with what one's with, feeling welcome, feeling here, feeling you know the richness of the life. Then I don't really need this. Mm. It doesn't mean you know it's not nothing worth hanging on to. You can let these th- things go. It's very, mm. and it actually feels nice like that. <coughs> So it's even with the things one has, the requisites one has, the ability to to not cling to them. Because if you the things you have, you start to cling to them, then the mind begins to um, move out of that sense of shared connection into into a, a, a modality which is much more prone to criticism and complaint. So, I mean, like the Kuti I live in, I didn't actually ask for that or want that. You know, I used to, you know, so that, but somebody wanted to do this whole number on that Kuti, so that's fine. But because I didn't want it or hanker after it, there's a nice feeling about it. I can live in it and I can move out of it. I like to let other people live there while I'm, you know, away or something, share it and I can go to other places and feel happy there. And when I'm there, I just feel it's a very, just a very lovely place to live. You know, the roof does leak, you know what I mean? And certainly, you know, if I started to think of it as, as mine, I'd probably find all kinds of things I wanted to do there. You know, like colour decoration, or jazz this up, or fix that, or wangle this, or don't like this, or change that. Mm-hmm. And then make it always be this way. But being able to just kind of, you know, just live in, in the generosity and trust that and the goodness from which these things arose is much more satisfying than, than just holding the requisite too tightly. I to consider all the things that are here, like the very space of the meditation retreat, something that's, you know, we have this opportunity, supported opportunity, you can live with that. Now, if some of we say, oh, you know, I've got these three months to do what I, you know, and it's mine and my space, then it starts to get a little bit nasty. Because <laughs> we've got to, you know, the mind changes from the feeling of abundance into a feeling of <coughs> want to get something, make something, have something, be something with it. <coughs> and then, you know, it's easy then the mind gets a, a particular track and anything that doesn't fit in with that is seen as obstructive to it. Group pujas, coming to this, you know, breakfast together, you know, people coming giving dana on Sundays, people wanting chanting for their relatives, no, I don't feel have to die and get in the way of <laughs> <laughs> my retreat. Can you stop dying? So inconsiderate, you know. <laughs> And then we can kind of think, oh, this is my time to get. And you get tight. And then things that cause more agitation rather than 
using the whole thing as something you know one holds with this dispassion. This is space. This is what's happening. This is you know nothing particularly happens. This is body and chanting. You know, this that and it, it it can all flow together, and one can reflect on it and reflect on how the what it's doing to the to the chitta ones. You know, irritation or joy or whatever, but it, you've got a container for it. Basic sense of this is all um, the offering. This is all the refuge. You know. It's all in that, <coughs> and we're connected in it. Developing that way of of considering broadly, uh, you know, the the standard, the whole form, the ethos of the life. Mm. So this is very helpful when we take this internally, if you like. You know, we say the mind is is emotive, um, affective sense in which is stirred, aroused, joyful, uh, elated, depressed, irritated, sad. You know, it's all this. It's jitta sankara. This is the activation of the mind. It's activated in these particular ways. It bubbles along these particular modalities. And then around, uh, with that, it, it throws up thought thought process kind of comes, spins from that, from that basic upheaval, welling up of, of jitta sankara, the, which is called the vaji sankara, which means it's the thing that activates the speech function, because the speech is also internal. And jitta sankara is the, the, if you like, the emotive welling up, and then vaji sankara is the welling up of the speech thinking in a chatter thing and the two you know are obviously connected what one thinks about tends to stir up one's emotive faculties what one's emotive faculties are stirred up by one tends to think about thought is is uh, the most um, thing that can introduce you know things you know new material to to the mind material isn't actually here you know so it's it's extremely potent, isn't it? You know, we could be to why you don't feel maybe you don't feel that particularly jitter doesn't really move very much about the carpet or the you know the physically what you're touching. You know, it's all fear, so so what? Fine. You know. But then boing think about something that's not here. You know, where it could be, where it should be, where I ought to be. You know what so-and-so is, what so-and-so isn't, what so-and-so thinks I am, what so-and-so doesn't think I am, what I think that so-and-so thinks I think they think I am, you know, what so-and-so used to think I was, uh, what I was when they thought, you know, and so on. So it produces this extremely potent stuff that gets you, a, gets the jitter moving again. And because this is the, um, the breathtaking, awful, heartbreaking, Sometimes, you know, truth of, of, of the here and now, you know, living in a in a place that's actually really 
quite survive in many ways, quite okay. And it's going through these tape reels of, of disconnected thought, making life miserable for us. So when the pain in the knees stops, it's like this is just the, the curtain, you know, this is the prologue. And then the curtains are drawn and the big stuff comes chundering out on stage, which is all the stored up tangle of, of um, these un, un, unresolved emotive currents, which sort of well up and then bring up particular thoughts that both you know, are the results of them and then also seed and continually stir the mind. You get this kind of tag wrestling team of thought and emotion. You know, one, when one tires out, down, the other one takes over and boosts it, you know, boosts it up again. So it's kind of seemingly spinning oscillation. And another thing. <laughs> and the whole thing really disconnecting one very seriously from the, from the, from the, the, the triple gem, from present moment, from you know, from uh, from that sense of belonging, you know, being here. And so, you know, this is something that is will occur for any of us. It does occur. So, in dealing with thought. <coughs> it's important to have this back background of the you know of being able you can only let go of a particular thought process when we can allow it to when we can understand it fully or when we can see it arise and pass and you can only do that when you've got something to hold on to or something that holds you like you know why is uh, you know such a thing as arising and passing and selflessness of phenomena difficult to really you know perceive or experience as we get dragged into it so even though the particular thought may arise and cease the emotive current that's carrying it you know wells up keeps welling up and bringing up new aspects of that. So it may be, you know, staying on track. We're not actually cutting out of the stream of it. And so the potency of this is, is one, you know, can't let go unless you've got something to, to hold on to or something that holds you. So then you you've got, if you like, you've got firm ground to stand on rather than get caught in the riptide. And then, then then letting go is possible. Letting go isn't possible unless there's something holding you. And we may think that's a, that that holding faculty occurs through having strong concentration, and that yeah that that can be the case. But also, what what is the truth is that the matter is that everyone doesn't have strong concentration at first, and we're in the riptide, you know. So then you think, well, I need I need strong concentration to get out of this. Yeah, but you haven't got it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. Um, so being able to just come back to something that's much more um, 
accessible. Like this very, nobody's here to harm me. What is that? And that's not just the thought, but taking taking the the, the feeling behind that. Uh, you know, or the requisites are offered, or the, the goodness, or the timelessness, or the sense of being re- received. Yeah. And taking a thought like that and really holding it and distilling it until you come to the meaning of that. That one, more than holding, one is also held in something. The good karma of our lives. I find that very, very beautiful because there are times when the mind seems to just be unable to, to focus or hold. Gets the, the hindrances or the pain of the past karma just wears it down and just get wearied and it's, sometimes it's at times like that one really recognises the, the, the refuge it's almost like you know at the, at the time of death or when you're really helpless it's when you and you, you, under, you know that and then you actually you realise you, you're carried in goodness around you. Mm-hmm. But it's also the case that our, the energy of our thinking mind doesn't, res- it resists that helplessness. So we can be desperately trying to, you know, not be helpless or frightened of helplessness or experiencing it as painful. Well, helplessness is, to my mind, one of the doors to compassion. Mm. Sense of, I can't do, I can't make this work, I can't get this going, I can't control this, I can't stop this. And it really knowing that, something in one can let give up, let go. And then we find, oh, you know, we, we actually are held in something. Mm. This is, although we one can talk about it as if it's some external medium, it's actually is the uh, reflection or a way of describing what is the process of jitta itself. You know, so the jitta it gets activated and stirred, and then it streams, it runs, and the thought process runs ahead and pulls it and, and throws it around and so forth. And the active, this is the activity of it. And then when that activity stops, or is, is, is held or checked, either because we've managed to stop it or because it just gets to a point where it can't, it can't find a way out, it can't go on any further. It, it seems to, it, the, pat, the, the process of that running on stops. And you find there's always something like a kind of falling or dropping. And what occurs is the, is the activity for a moment or
stops. I mean, we, the jitta sankara subsides, and we find ourselves in this jitta experience, which is just mental openness or sensitivity. And this, if you like, is the internal aspect of the refuge. It's our own innate mind. You know. Yes, this is the, the open ground. Mm. So that, that the activity subsides back to that, and for that moment, you feel perhaps strangely uh, quiet or free or larger, you were in, or, or stopped before we were spinning. We were in a quite tight space. There was a, there was a whole flurry and fluster to it. We're being pushed, driven, dragged, got ourselves whirling, and now it stopped, and now this open, quiet space. And without anything having been resolved, everything feels okay. And that's really, uh, I think that's tremendously enriching just to recognize that you don't have to, one doesn't have to think one's way out of a problem or find a solution, but really to find a way in which the jitta-sankara subsides again. It's been pulled out by this magnetic power, perception, thoughts, feelings, pull it out into this charged state. And it seeks discharge. And often in our ways of thinking, we seek discharge by finding an answer, or finding its desire, finding get what we want and then it'll be the discharge, or if it's aversion, getting away from that nasty, oof, or whatever it is, you know. We, we seek the discharge of that in some particular object or state or scenario. And also it can, it can momentarily occur in that. You get that, that's why of course we follow desire. You get that momentary, ah. You know. But then the, uh, the quality of desire is such that it very quickly picks up again and we move it because we haven't actually cut the stream. But the quality of, of um, the cutting or the stopping of desire, stopping of fear, the stopping of that, means that there's a dropping and that the jitta-sankara, the stream of that subsides. You find yourselves in this kind of quietly open, quiet state. No particular aim, no particular drive, no particular activation the volitional element ceases. <coughs> this can be done deliberately, you know, or sometimes it happens by itself. When we come to when we come to into a cul-de-sac, when you just have to give up. <laughs> you know, and none of us you know, none of us gives up easy. You know, Jitta Sankara doesn't give up easy, put it that way. It struggles, it fights, it, it can uh, kind of hold itself, still pushing, even though it's not saying anything, just in this still its kind of pushed state. Uh, so sometimes we have to fully, you know, we, we can kind of calm down the thinking over that so we don't think of it, these topics, but still it, it, the Jitta Sankara still remains hunched in that particular state of tension or fear or you know, hankering of some kind. So maybe we don't think of things anymore, and we don't follow it, but it's still hunched in that. 
So often for the, dis- for the discharge, you have to fully experience that. You know, the anger or the greed or whatever it is. <coughs> so it it can uh, discharge yeah. without acting upon it. It's almost going to the energy itself of that particular thing. It, it, rises up, if anyone it rises up that it can subside again. And this has to be all held within the crucible of of refuge. Someone can be angry within the refuge or mean within the refuge or <laughs> but it's not out of the refuge, you know. If you stay connected to it, the only thing that takes you out of refuge is disconnecting from it, is denying it, is thinking, you know, that me, mine, or my own kind of thing is what takes you out of it. Mm. Uh, so sometimes, of course, we can assume that the refuge is, uh, is when we take the precept level of it, that you know that if you if you don't if you take that precept level, you know, internally, then you know any kind of unkind thought takes you away from the refuge. You get shame and guilt. But uh, the precepts really involve deliberate, intended activity, you know, which we refrain from doing. And of course, you know, our inclination is to put an end to the, you know, the, the greed, the hatred, delusion, and so forth of, of our internal process. But you can't just do that from a moral perspective. You know, when you get the moral tone, this is not good. But that alone doesn't bring it to cessation. So you're holding it within the, the sphere of not, not acting upon that. And then feel, feel that. Feel the, as a chitta-sankara, like what is the energy of this? The surge of it? How does it affect the body? And if we can disengage or put aside the story or the thought, which would tend to keep disconnecting us from the energy and taking us out into them and there, you know, the thing outside our particular sphere, just go to the energy of it <coughs> and feel that. There is that sense in which it can, having arisen, subside. It discharges. With Because um, the thinking thing is, is so um, as much associated with this, Often one has to, in, in, in order to, to, to get to the energy, you have to deliberately play with the thought, either to stop thinking, which isn't always possible, to counteract the things we're thinking as on another theme, you know, such as even though he's a complete arrogant, selfish pig, um, you know, he, he means well. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, or it could be. <laughs> or you you try to slow it down, like you know, arrogant, selfish, pig. <laughs> pig. You know, visualize pigs and something like so that. It's when the, the thought, when it's allowed its own energy, its own speed, is what, what captures the energy of the jitta-sankara. So if we, we change the rhythm and the energy of the thought, it starts to not be able to hold 
the same energetic pattern. So it's the particular, the bonding is the particular energy. So if your thinking process is getting kind of manic and fast, it's the, the, the process of that, that's, that's the energy of the jitta sankara. So, you know, you can say like something like you think of, I know, baked beans and chips, you know, baked beans and chips, just mm-hmm. phrase like that. So what? Baked beans and chips. Baked beans and chips. Baked beans and chips. So what that means is desire in it, isn't it? You know, it starts to speed up, it's caught you. Baked beans and chips, baked beans and chips. Baked beans and chips. <laughs> baked beans and chips. So you, you, the, the particular energy of it is, is what conveys the mood, not the thought itself. No. So if you change the energy of the thought, the speed of it, or the rhythm of it, or the tonality, it just makes it so it's neutral, like words in, in you know, being spoken. Or play with the tonality of it. Um, it does break that, that bond between the thought and the emotive um, basis, or effects of the mind. So, you know, you can, there are a number of ways you can do this, but the importance of to just, you know, be able to curb the runaway drive of thought, which will tend to take us or expect or even you know, take us into, you know, what's going to happen next year or the rest of my life or, um, you know, Nibbana, you know, way out from where, for the next moment. You know. And we're all good at that, at very rapidly constructing scenarios out of, you know, a few initial thoughts are suggested and you know, we've trained in that. We're quick, quick-minded. So we very easily deduce and, and come jump to conclusions. So be able to be able to just take that, you know, the thought and slow it right down. Take a little bit. Play with it, change it. So you change the energy of it. You know, and maybe that way you want feels almost immediately with that. It's difficult to really keep the jitta sankara can't be kept going in that if the if one is affected the energy of it. And in the subsiding of one's you know, affliction, the ending of suffering, you know, this is just one bit one moment. So again, you know, recognize that when we, we think, we think end is suffering, you know, complete end, liberation, total freedom. No, liberation is just like, for this moment, my mind is not worrying, I'm liberated from worry. You know, taking it like that. You see how our, our thinking goes into big pictures and big patterns and perfections and absolutes, but practice is very much like learning how to, in the present moment, Note the absence of cruelty and enjoy it. Note the presence of mood of gratitude and enjoy that. Note the presence of a, a absence of um, fear and, in, and really enjoy that. So you you get so liberation, something you develop through fully appreciating and dwelling in 
in the wholesome. So you don't, you know, but you, one's thinking mind tends to, you know, do this, do that, and then, big liberation. It's built up through through slowing down the energy of the mind, changing it, changing the compulsive runs of it. And as much as we can do this tinkering and, you know, on that level of meditation, one realizes that the, the one of the most powerful reasons why it does run is because it's looking for something to connect to. And it's looking for birth, if you like. And if we don't get born in the human realm or in Devaloka, we get animal, hungry ghost, hell realm. But that's where it goes to. It's going to connect to something. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's like that. It's, it's a it's a heat-seeking missile. <coughs> so you've either got to, you know, this this one, you know, actually develops the cultivation of connection, belonging to, being welcomed into, this. Uh, it's called the heap of the wholesome. This kind of place or this realm, then one is actually both diminishing one resource and holding the door open for the afflictions to to charge. So when an affliction falters, stops, slows down, subsides, be aware of that, you know, this is the fading of it, when it isn't here, the absence of it, when one isn't suffering from that particular affliction, appreciate, here's the absence of doubt, or the absence of depression, or something like that, don't dwell in that, what does it feel like? So make your absences something that are present for you. So there's a volitional quality, the driven quality of Chittasankara can be allayed. And then our refuge is in that the allaying. And this is what you know the path really and the ultimate or the you know, the completion of allaying is like that. It's a kind of complete dropping, plunging into, merging into, rather than the reaching out for, but really dropping into this uh, deathless nirvana. So it's important to develop that mode of mental behavior. Dropping into the present. Feeling held by it, building up one's perceptions of it.